0: Mark one through 35-45 And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out.
1: Good morning. I recently uh, read a book called The Boys in the Boat. Some of you may have read it. It's the story of a University of Washington rowing team, nine-man crew, who won the gold medal at the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin. It's a fascinating story of how they worked together for years. They had to set their priorities far ahead of time for years to work on a number of things. They had to work on their strength because it's one of the most grueling of sports, so they had to strengthen their back and their arms and their legs. But most important, they had to practice rowing together in absolute unison to make sure that the oars came out of the water and went into the water exactly the same instant and that they were in unison or the entire boat would be thrown off And to do that, they had to learn to follow the lead of the coxswain. Now the coxswain is the little guy who sits in the back of the boat and sets the cadence. So they have to listen and follow very carefully to the lead of the coxswain or they will not be in unison and the entire boat will fail. So they had to spend hours and hours just simply rowing and learning to row in line With the coxswain, it was their priority. But because of their hard work and sticking to their priorities and not being distracted, they won the gold in the 1936 Olympics right in front of Adolf Hitler. (laughs) Well, Jesus had a huge impact in the world, more than anyone else who's ever lived in fact I like the way Philip Schaff puts it. He's a Christian historian, theologian, and he says this about the impact of Jesus on our world. This Jesus of Nazareth, without money or arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of any orator or poet. He goes on to talk about this huge impact that Jesus had on our world, the greatest impact of anyone. How did he do it? How did Jesus manage to have that kind of impact on our world? Well, he came to earth and chose to live like us as a human being. And as he did so, he showed us that the key to having an impact, the kind of impact that God wants to have through us, is keeping your priorities straight. (laughs) You see, in our passage today, Jesus is being challenged to be distracted, to give up his priorities. The crowds are coming, and popularity is surrounding him, and he's being tempted to give up his priorities and cater to the popularity of the crowds. His whole ministry could have been derailed at this point, I believe. But he shows us in how he sticks to his priorities how to have an impactful ministry and service of our Lord. And he demonstrates for us what should be the focus of our lives as we follow him and listen to his cadence and row in line with him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that Jesus became one of us, so we would know what it means to live as a human being that is listening to your commands, that is rowing in line with your purposes. So may we, from this passage, be led to hear from you and to row in line with you more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the first priority we see in Jesus in verse 35 is that we need to, like Jesus, plug in. We need to plug in. What, what do I mean by that? Well, recently we made a jump in our family, Jeannie and I, well, just Jeannie actually. She moved... ...to a smartphone. (laughs) I've still got a little flip phone, but she's got a smartphone now. And one thing I've noticed about that smartphone is it's capable of doing amazing things. I mean, you can do all kinds of things that I can't do with my phone, and it's uh, got all kinds of abilities. They're wonderful, but it only has about a 10-hour battery life, and if you use it very much, then it dies. (laughs) Uh, It's not much use after that. Uh, If you let the battery die, if you don't plug it in, it's not good for much except maybe as a paperweight. (laughs) You have to keep it charged, and if you use it very much, you pretty much have to charge it every day. Well, you know what? Same with us. Same with Jesus, if we're going to not just be paperweights for him. (laughs) Jesus had had a big day the day before. We looked at this last week. He had called four of his disciples. It was a big day. He had begun to invest in them. He had taught and healed in the synagogue. He had healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He had had the crowds come and he was healing many and casting out demons well into the night. The disciples are pretty excited about all this and the crowds are starting to gather and God has shown up. Look at this great healing ministry. It's, look at the popularity. And what does Jesus do? Verse 35, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. What does Jesus do? In the light of all this great ministry to be done, He gets away to spend time and plug in with his heavenly father. Now, think about this for a minute. Jesus is the son of God. (laughs) He's the second person of the Trinity. He is God himself. And yet he, living as a human, has to plug in to his heavenly father. Throughout the gospels, we see over and over again, this was a regular part of Jesus's life. And if Jesus had to plug in, my goodness, don't we have to as well? if we're going to be used of him. He listens carefully to the Father so that he can hear like like the rowers in the boat to the cadence of the Father. And we need to, too, if we are going to be in line with him, if we're going to row in line with our Heavenly Father, we need to listen to him and listen to the cadence so we are in line. We need to recharge like Jesus did. The Gospels show that this was a priority in Jesus' life. He never let the needs of the people get in the way of his relationship with his Father. Why? Well, because he knew that our service to God must be fed by our relationship with God. Our service to God must be fed by our relationship with God. Or to put it another way, our work grows out of our worship. Our work has to grow out of our worship. Without that, nothing of real value can be done. So, Jesus needed to constantly plug in, and so must we. I'm struck by the effort Jesus took to make sure he got alone with his father. He's in the house with Peter, right? And with the disciples, and Peter's wife, and Peter's mother in law, and they're all in this house, and there was no chance to really get alone with the father. So, what does he do? Four action verbs. He got up, he left the house, he went to a secluded place, and he prayed. You see, it takes effort. It's not natural for us. We, even for Jesus, it took effort to go and get alone with the Father. And it says he went to an eramos place, a secluded place. That word describes wilderness. It's translated wilderness or desolate place, lonely place. It's a place away from everybody else. He chose to get away so he could be with the Father. I want to show you a slide of an Eremos cave in Israel. Some of you may have been there. If you go to Capernaum and then you hike kind of up out of the way, away from everything else, is this cave that has been called the Eremos cave. It's The word here for secluded or isolated or desolate place, according to tradition, this is where Jesus went when he got away from the crowds. It's a little cave just overlooking the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the next slide shows you what the view is like from inside that cave. You see, an Eremos place is where everything else is stripped away, there's no distractions. You have an opportunity to focus on the Lord and worship Him. And I think that's what Jesus did. I think He probably spent most of His time listening to the Father and worshiping the Father. An eremos place is where not just you, you pray through your list. You know, I've got a list, but, but I'm learning more and more over time that m- the most important thing about an eremos place is that you learn to just focus on who God is and worship Him privately to delight in Him to admire Him to be fascinated with who He is and His character qualities and His goodness and that more and more is to take up our time with Him to, to simply worship Him in this very cave when I went to Israel my first time in 1994 I went with four friends and we were sitting in this cave and God began to speak to one of the men I was with who was a professor at Regent College, Bruce Walke, and God began to speak to his heart and in a powerful way, began to change his perspective, even on his whole teaching at the seminary where he taught, and we spent time praying for him, and it was a powerful moment, but what a picture for me of what an airmost place is meant to be, a place where you get alone with God, and God speaks in a powerful way and What I have found is if I do not choose, like Jesus did, make the effort to get to an erroneous place myself, then God will force me (laughs) into the wilderness. Either through a difficult circumstance, a depression that I'm struggling with, a physical problem like my heart attack or other things where God is has forced me into time alone with Him so that I could hear from Him. But how much better for us to make the choice, like Jesus did, to regularly find an eramos place where you can hear from God. You can hear His cadence. You can begin to row in line with Him, in sync with His heart. So, the question comes up for me because... You know when I talk to someone or I talk to a group like this about this, normally what happens in your hearts? I understand. You feel you just feel like you feel guilty. <laughs> you feel like yeah, it's so hard though. I don't pray enough. I don't get alone with the Lord enough. And so I ask myself, why is it so hard for us to really make this a real part of our lives? To choose to get away with God so that we're not just paperweights. <laughs> But we're really plugged in and we're rowing in line with what he's calling us to do. I, I think there's probably several reasons why it's hard for us. I know for me, I, in my own pride, at times I felt like what I'm doing is just too important. What I do is more important than time alone with him. God's really had to change my perspective and see that my time alone with him is the work of the ministry. It is what we're called to do. It is as important and more important than anything we might do for him. Gary Thomas says something interesting to kind of give a perspective about why maybe we uh, have a hard time spending time alone with the Lord. He puts it this way, cultivating the quiet is a painful experience when we are addicted to noise, excitement, and occupation. Opening the door to spiritual quiet can also open the door to spiritual fear and loneliness. It takes a great amount of courage to face God. According to Pascal, we're often afraid that if we start to slow down, the truth of our deeply felt misery will assail us. We lack the courage to confront this misery. So we force ourselves to live at breakneck speed with maximum noise so we will be too numb or too busy to notice the pain. He suggests that we're not courageous enough. We're afraid to be alone with God as because of what he might reveal or what we might see about ourselves. We, so we stay busy. We run. We keep going. I think perhaps... Another reason is we're lazy. It's hard for us to make the choice that Jesus did, to actively choose. I know that's been true of me at times. Or maybe we just don't see our need. We're so self-dependent on our own pride and selfish living that we don't see the need. Um, I like the way Jim Cimbala, who wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, puts it, where he says, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weaknesses. (laughs) He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need Him. You see, once we begin to realize how desperately we need Him, then we're motivated to spend time with Him, to realize I cannot live life apart from you. I need to stay plugged in. I don't want to be a paperweight. (laughs) I need... Your life in me. We need to be gripped by the words of Jesus in John chapter 7, where he stood up at the last day of the feast, verse 37, and he said, Is any among you thirsty? Come to me and drink, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. You see, the key to having his life flow out of us is what? Knowing you're thirsty. Knowing how desperately you need to drink from Him every day. So Jesus' first priority is this to plug in to the Father, to, to listen to the cadence of the coxswain and get in sync with His heart and His commands. The second priority we see in Jesus in this passage is to speak out. Plug in, speak out. Verse 36. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go somewhere else, <laughs> to the towns nearby, so I may preach there also. For this is what I came for. In verse 36, where it says they search for him, the word really has this picture of hunting him down. <laughs> I mean, the crowds are coming and the disciples are excited and and Jesus is nowhere to be found. So they hunt him down. I don't know if they got the dogs out or what they did, but they were going to find him. And notice they come to him and don't really appreciate the importance of his time with the Father. They interrupt his time with the Father and they're thinking, man... Jesus, where are you? I mean, this could be the start of something big. (laughs) The crowds are coming. We might be able to have a mega church. (laughs) If you'll just come on board. Let's take advantage of the popularity while we have it. And Jesus' response is, uh, I think I'm going to ignore all these people (laughs) and go somewhere else. To the synagogues, to the towns, and proclaim the gospel because that's why I came see Jesus had just spent time with his heavenly father he'd gotten in sync with the father's heart and he knew what he was there for so he knew he wasn't there to start a popular movement the disciples didn't get it the crowds didn't get it but Jesus did because he'd plugged in with the heavenly father I came to proclaim he says to speak the kingdom so Jesus is demonstrating for us the priority for us as well. If we're going to be a follower of his, first you plug in, but as, after you plug in, you, you need to speak out the gospel. Speak the gospel. To declare it. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. God has chosen to give power to words. God spoke the entire creation into being. Jesus is the living word, and when Jesus showed us that it's through word that lives are changed, I would venture to guess that 98% of us in this room came to Christ because someone spoke the gospel to us. There's power in speaking the gospel. Sometimes we hear the old saying of St. Francis. We've been told it's of St. Francis. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You've heard me say, St. Francis didn't say that, actually. Uh, There's no record of him saying anything really like that. In fact, St. Francis was a great preacher. He gossiped the gospel everywhere he went. He proclaimed the gospel. He talked about it everywhere he went. And this too often has been used as an excuse. I've used it for an excuse that, okay, I don't need to say anything. I'll just try to be a good person and and maybe that'll speak to people's lives. Well, you know what? Jesus is showing us that no, we do our lives do matter. They do count, but we need to speak out the gospel. But this is hard, right? It's hard for us. Many of us can identify with Mark Buchanan In his book, Your Church is Too Safe, where he describes following someone and trying to imitate someone who was a natural evangelist, who everywhere he went, he could just share the gospel with people. And and he says this, I tried his methods a few times. I don't know how many many ways you can turn something simple into a disaster, (laughs) but I managed it every time. I had a way of getting people's hackles up, and if they didn't walk away, I'd usually start to argue with them. After a few of these, I banned myself from attempting more. I even stopped trying to have redemptive conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons who came to my door. For simple fear, I was more deeply entrenching them in their views than coaxing them out of them. In short, no one wanted to listen. But he goes on to say that yet we still have to speak. So what does that look like for us? Well, I know for me, if I try to work myself up, you know, I've got to to figure out the right thing to say and I've got to try to get a commitment from this person that it never works. It's always just me. But the more I learn to just simply love people around me, get into their lives, hear their hearts, ask them questions about themselves, people... Don't get asked questions. And if you take an interest in them and show them you really care that Jesus comes up naturally if you've been plugged into the Father. It becomes a natural part of your life because Jesus is a natural part of your life and you're simply talking about him. We are to become gossips of the gospel. Simply gossiping about who Jesus is and what he's done as we simply love people around us so it's to be a natural part of caring for others but it does mean that we need to pray and look for opportunities to speak out to speak out the gospel to those that God has put in our life don't feel the pressure to get the person to make a commitment or get the person somewhere you might just be one step out of a hundred in the person's movement towards Christ but But be that step. Simply plant a seed. Share something about your walk with Jesus. So we're to plug in. We're to speak out. And third priority we see in Jesus is to reach out. Reach out. Here is a story of a leper who comes to Jesus in his time of great need. Verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. This man comes with a sense of need, a sense of urgency. He's a leper, and I want to show you a picture, and this is disturbing, but it's what leprosy does to a person. You see, leprosy is this disease that deforms the body and deforms your life. And and one of the things it does is it kills any ability to feel pain in your extremities. So what happens to people, because they can't feel pain, is they hurt their fingers, their toes, different body parts, and they end up damaging them and losing them because pain is a gift that helps us know that there's something wrong. So in the Hebrew world, in the Greek world of Jesus' day, the Jewish world, uh, someone with leprosy was an outcast. In Leviticus chapter 13, it says this, verse 45, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. See, if a person had leprosy, they were seen as cursed by God. They became isolated. They were contagious. They were considered dangerous. So if you had leprosy, it robbed you of your health, of your family, of your name, of your home, of your job, fellowship with others, the ability to worship with others. People were disgusted and afraid of lepers. And a leper would never, under normal circumstances, approach a respected rabbi. But this one, in his desperate need, comes to Jesus and says, Please, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus ignores the law, (laughs) ignores the social barriers, and reaches out his hand and touches him. And I was reminded in between services that this word for touch here isn't just touch. (laughs) It's really a word for embrace. He embraces him. In a sense, what Jesus is willing to do is to take this man's place, to become unclean according to the law by embracing this man, reaching out to him, to become an outsider himself, to touch his life. And miracle of miracles, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the man himself is cleansed, cured, Completely. Whatever was deformed is restored. He's completely healed. The power of God has cleansed him. And notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say be healed. He says be cleansed. Be restored, not just physically, but to God as well. Wow. That's what Jesus can do when we get people in touch with him. So Jesus is demonstrating another priority of our lives, of of serving God, of following God, is we're to plug into the Father, we're to speak out the gospel, but we are to reach out with compassion to the needy. So one of the questions that strikes me is, who am I disgusted by? (laughs) Who do I resist getting close to? Who am I afraid of? Maybe God is calling me or you to reach out and touch them, even embrace them. I, I'm not saying I'm great at this, I'm not, but I, I try to stretch myself sometimes. And I've gone a couple times to the AIDS vigil we have here in Boise in December, where it's people who mostly have AIDS or have lost loved ones that have AIDS, most are out of the homosexual community, the gay community, and in this vigil we all hold candles and people share the pain of those they have lost and they share about their own struggles, struggling with AIDS, many of them. And I went with a certain amount of fear and trepidation. You know, this is, they're different than me. But I went and I want to keep going back because what I found as I had opportunity to share one-on-one with several of them and hear their stories that they are people exactly like you and me people with broken hearts who long for love who long for care who long for the exact thing that you and I have to offer the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ And yet we're afraid to get close to them. No one's beyond the love of God, but they may never know it. Unless we're willing to get close to them, reach out, and touch their lives. Now, now I, I learned so much from many of you in this body. We have so many people that are involved in compassion ministries. And I just want to encourage you and thank you for that in prison ministry, and homeless ministry, in Chrysalis House, and getting involved with the Armstrongs and reaching out to refugees who are hurting and lost in a new country and who have experienced incredible trauma. There's so many people around us with broken lives and broken marriages and broken homes who are hurting, feeling rejected and condemned. Are we reaching out with the gospel? Jesus ends this section, I think, with a warning to watch out. We're to plug in, we're to speak out, we're to reach out, and we are to watch out. In these last few verses, 43 through 45, you see Jesus harshly warning this leper. He really uses strong terms here, and he says, don't, I'm warning you. Whatever you do, do not go talk to other people about what I just did to heal you. Instead, go to the priests because I want it to be a testimony to them. And what does the leper do? (laughs) Totally ignores Jesus' words and goes out and tells everybody. He got caught up in the excitement of what Jesus had done. You know, there's something feels good about that. And yet, because... He wasn't plugged into the Father. He didn't respond. And he missed out, I think. He missed out on the chance of being a witness to the priest who needed to know that the kingdom had come in Jesus. And the priest never heard because the man didn't respond. And I think the man also missed out on the opportunity to go be cleansed officially by going through the eight days of cleansing, Leviticus 14, so that he could be declared pure and cleansed and be restored to the community in which he belonged the Jewish community he missed out on all that because he got caught up in his new celebrity status it's a warning for us to not get caught up in the numbers or popularity or caring what the crowds think or trying to build a, a mega church or you know, any of that stuff, but to just stick to the priorities. To be listening to the Father so that you're hearing His cadence and responding to Him and stroking in line with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. To be speaking out as you build relationships and care for others. To be reaching out in compassion to those around you who are hurting. And believe me, everybody's hurting. And if we stay focused on those three things, we'll be rowing in sync with the Father. We'll be rowing in line with him so that he won't have to keep correcting our course. So the question is, where is your Eremos place? Are you plugging in to him or is your battery running down? so that you don't have much to offer? Are you drinking thirstily from Jesus so that out of you can flow rivers of living water? Let us be people who drink deeply of him, plug into him so that his life will flow out of us. We're going to take communion together. Let me pray as the ushers come forward. Lord, As we prepare now to take communion together, we worship You and we give thanks to You that You, Father, have made a way for us to come into Your presence, to plug into You, to be restored to You every day, even though we sin and we fail and we struggle, yet through the cross of Jesus Christ. Our sins were nailed to that cross and we have utter forgiveness every moment. We have free access into your presence. Your heart is moved when we come in need and desperation. And so, Lord, we come that way now, knowing there is no way we could have access to you unless you made a way, and that way was through Jesus becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we give you praise and thanks, and as we prepare to receive the elements... May we confess those things that keep us from plugging in to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. just want to remind you that if you need gluten-free, there's gluten-free bread in the back. And I encourage you to use this time to just lay your heart before the Lord and ask what the Lord wants you to confess to him as you prepare to take the elements together.